Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the House of Cars podcast. Coming up, Toyota revealed the brand new successor to the GT86. The Toyota GR86 is joining the Gran Turismo Sport. The Grand Tour Scotland Special, release date, cars, details and everything we know. And Extreme E brought more questions than answers. All this and more on today's show. But first, new Toyota GR86 sports car takes over from the GT86 from Auto Express. New rear wheel drive Toyota GR86 sports car will be on sale in Europe and the UK, unlike sister Subaru BRZ. This is the Toyota GR86, a new rear wheel drive sports car that's a successor in all but name to the GT86 and due to go on sale in Europe either in late 2021 or early 2022. Just like the GT86, the GR86 is the fruit of Toyota's reaffirmed partnership with Subaru to build compact sports cars with the latter brand's BRZ model revealed late last year, sharing the same platform and engines. Toyota claims it it has, (coughs) excuse me, It has engaged in a friendly rivalry with Subaru to develop two new sports cars with distinct driving feels. Um, Using the same chassis and engine as the BRZ, the GR86 is powered by a 2.4-litre naturally aspirated flat-four boxer engine in place of the old 2.0-litre, in in place of the old 2.0-litre unit. Um, Toyota has not confirmed specs for the European market GR86, but the Japanese version of the car produces 232 brake horsepower and 250 Nm of torque with a redline of 7,400 revs per minute. Um, That's 35 brake horsepower and 45 Nm more than the car it replaces and results in in a far quicker 0 to 62 miles per hour time of a 6.3 seconds 1.1 second faster but we'll have to see if the final figures if the final figures away from toyota's home market are different um when more details are revealed later this year the new engine is um, mated to a six-speed manual gearbox as standard while a six-speed automatic transmission will be offered as an option um both send power to the rear wheels through a limited slip differential uh, the, the GR86 on, is based on the same basic platform as the GT86, however the brand has upgraded uh, the chassis with more strengthening panels and stronger bonding techniques um, to improve the body's shell, stiffness and sharpen up the handling. Um, torsional rigidity is up by 50% um, while the whole thing Tips that tips the scales at 1,270 kilograms. Uh, the GR in the car's name stands for Gazoo Racing, Toyota's in-house tuning division that helped develop the brand's GR Supra uh, sports car and the GR Yaris, not hatchback, uh, hot hatchback. Sorry, um, it's no surprise Gazoo Racing has had a hand in the development of the GRs of the GR86's chassis too. Um, 
The platform evolution means the, G the GR86 retains the same basic proportions as its predecessor, only the exterior styling has evolved to match the purer surfaces of the new BRZ. At the first, at the front, the, headli the headlights and daytime running lights are simpler in design and the front, uh, front end surfacing is smoother, um, with Toyota placing a bit more distance uh, between its sports car and Subaru Subarus with a new front apron with a large rectangular air intake uh, compared with the BRZ's more angular detailing. Um, the, G the GT86's gently sculpted roof means while at the rear the chunky bumper houses a new diffuser element and twin exhaust, twin exit exhaust. As with the BRZ, the GR86's bonnet, front wings and roof are made from lightweight aluminium. Inside, Toyota has equipped it with a new with it has equipped its new compact 2.2+2 uh, sports cars with much more tech, including a 7-inch digital, digital dash unit and an 8-inch touchscreen uh, in infotainment setup. Um, as part of a uh, thorough redesign of the center console and dashboard, automatic versions of the GR86 will be available with will be available with Subaru developed iSight driver assistance technologies. Making use of a forward-facing camera setup, this provides pre-collision avoidance support. Uh, full UK information is yet to be confirmed, but we expect the car to go on sale either later this year or in early in 2022, while prices could start from around £30,000. Uh, um, so there you have it, folks. The brand new um, GR86 revealed by Toyota um, about three or four days ago at this stage. Um, sticking with Toyota now for um, a few minutes, uh, the, G the GR86 is joining Gran Turismo Sport. GR86 is set to join its Yaris and Super siblings in virtual racing series. This comes from topgear.com. Unless you've been uh, in self-induced chocolate coma following the Easter weekend, you've probably heard the news. There's another Gazoo racing Toyota on the way in the form of the Toyota GR86. To say we're excited is an understatement. Um, while we've a few months to wait to have to go in the real world, to have a go in the real world, Gazoo has announced that we'll be able to get our mitts on the new model, virtually at least, from this summer onwards in a virtual racing game called Gran Turismo Sport. Uh, the news comes as part of an announcement introducing the sport, the Toyota Gazoo Racing GT Cup, um, which will offer competi competitors from across the world the chance to get behind the wheel of the GR86 alongside its GR siblings, the Supra and Yaris. Spanning seven qualifying sessions and one final round, the series will rotate between models at each event. While we don't know to an, ex an exact release date um, for, while we don't know an exact date for the GR86 to arrive in the game, we do know qualifying for the, for the new season is set to start on the 25th of April with the GR86 due to make its competitive debut on the 22nd of August at Mount Panorama Australia. Um, 
regular Gran Turismo players will already know that both the Born Again Super and Rally Special Yaris made their debut in the game before they did on actual tarmac and the GR86 now looks set to follow suit. Talk about wetting the appetite, Toyota. Um, so yeah, some excitement to get Gran Turismo fans going before the official release of the actual sports car on the real world. Um, also coming up today, uh, the Grand Tour Scotland Special, release date and details of what we know. Um, that's next. Before the break, I said the Grand Tour Scotland special, um, the details and what we know um, is next. And so that's what's coming up. So here it is. This is from BT.com. The Grand Tour Scotland special. When will it be released? And what did Clarkson, and Hammond and May get up to in the Outer Hebrides? Clarkson, Hammond and May managed to film a Grand Tour special in Scotland during 2020 and here is everything we know so far. The Grand Tour will keep on rolling in 2021 despite lockdowns, travel restrictions and numerous spin-off shows for Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May. In late summer 2020, the Grand Tour team managed to find a window to shoot a new special in Scotland as the presenting trio and crew formed bubbles and hit the road. After recent globe trotting, specials across the across wild roads in Madagascar and a dangerous boat journey in Cambodia and Vietnam, fans will be excited to see a throwback to the team's early days with a British road trip. Here's everything we know so far about the Scottish special. When will the, Sc- when will the special be released? There is no confirmation date uh, as of yet, and but Amazon are confident the film will be released this year. Um, all filming took place in summer 2020, but the editing process needs to be done under COVID restriction under COVID restrictions with expected which is expected to delay the process. Um, Clarkson is also getting ready to launch his own solo farming series on Amazon Prime Video, which is expected to arrive before the Scotland special. 
Um, what cars are used in the special? Fan footage of Clarkson, and Hammond and May shooting the series revealed the trio are driving three American vehicles around Scotland. James is in a red Cadillac, Richard Hammond is behind the wheel of a green Buick and Clarkson is driving a blue Lincoln. Other cars spotted during filming include 70s Dodge Challenger, a Ford Mustang and a Chevrolet Nova. Um, where did the Grand Tour film in Scotland? The trio travelled right across Scotland, filming in locations including Outer Hebrides, um, I think I'm saying that right, which proved less remote than they'd expected. Well, we knew we couldn't go abroad, said Clarkson, and so we simply looked and went, right, well, the Outer Hebrides then. Of course, what was hilarious was we got there to find the producer of uh, League of Their Own. We bumped into um, Joanna Lumley, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse. Every single television program we could think of that would ordinarily be elsewhere in the world was in the Outer Hebrides with us. Locations um, we know the trio visited include, include Edinburgh, uh, Glentrium, Perthshire and the North, the island North Uist. Um, it sounds like it could be one of the show's most picturesque road trips ever. How did they film the Scotland Grand Tour special under COVID-19 regulations? Speaking exclusively to BT.com in 2020, executive producer Andy Willman said, Scotland was a real success and I'm saying that with good, with um, wood touched. It was a different. It, it was a different type of thing, um, smaller, more charming, more knockabout. But we really were proud of it. We could keep doing that type of special until we get the passports out again. I think um, we're still programmed to work. We've got to put a shift in, uh, but we have to be realistic. We can't go away until we can look down the road and know where the world is going to be and we're way off that and we're way we're away yeah we're away off that uh, talking about the filming process for the scotland special james may told us i wouldn't say it was necessarily nice but it was nice to get back doing what we do and it was nice to see the crew again i had seen clarkson and hammond for some very distant meetings from the opposite sides of the garden but i hadn't seen the crew for a long time uh, many many months uh, the best part of a year, in fact, doing it in a bubble, we turned out, uh, we turned out to be quite good at it. We did it in area an area an area of Scotland with not many um, people. Anyway, we didn't interact with the locals really. Uh, there were complicated systems set up for cleaning everything, and it's a bit tiresome going through lots of producers, uh, lots of procedures rather, um, and being tested every day. But it didn't get in the way of filming to be honest um, we film the normal way we always do it's the peripheral stuff that's a bit tiring um, we couldn't go to the pub but there was no pub anyway um, what happened to the Grand Tour Russia special there are still plans for Clarkson Hammond and May to film a Grand Tour special in Russia but until coronavirus travel restrictions are relaxed and it's safe to travel there is no way the episode can start shooting Willman told us in 2020 right now we should be preparing for Russia to film for the Russia film, um, we were supposed to shoot last February, but not going. We're not going to get to do that for a while because nothing is certain enough. 
these films take months to plan and by planning I mean spending money and if you spend money and things get shoved back you don't get the money back and uh, we can't blow money on things that will just go to waste um, we have to wait until we can plan with confidence James May said the Russia plan is simply postponed until uh, we don't know when but we haven't cancelled it we're just having to put it in the cupboard at the moment but we will get it out one day and finish it off the presenter then added I think one of once the uh, Russian trip was put on hold we realised coronavirus was a bigger problem than we thought but it doesn't stop me it doesn't stop you making great television the process of uh, being forced to rethink things is in some ways really healthy because otherwise you would get complacent or set in your ways it's making use it's making us use our imagination um, it's obviously not good news for the world because we've a, we've got a pandemic but for the grand tour it's definitely not going to stop us if anything it might even improve us imagine that you can watch the grand tour and grand tour specials on amazon prime video now um moving to extreme e uh now i have to say i did watch the first race in um i think it was was it abu dhabi um and it was interesting, but it wasn't as interesting as, say, Formula One. Um, and that's just my opinion on it. Now, I've only seen the first race. This um, series of events goes up until December. Um, and I'll go into more detail about Extreme E um, in my next episode out next week. Um, but here it is. Extreme E brought more questions than answers. This again is from topgear.com. Like many, I spent my, most of my Easter bank holiday weekend topping up um, my stomach with a never-ending emulsion of beer and cream egg goo. But I also took time to literally watch um, new ground being broken. This weekend saw the inaugural Extreme E race take place in Saudi Arabia. Um, I watched it with interest and just not because it's my job to do so. Um, I found the new fangled all-terrain electric um, offshoot of Formula E um, equally fascinating and begrueling since first hearing rumours of it a few years ago. How did it do? Well, it probably um, pretzels my brain and left me wanting more. Unfortunately, no more racing, rather, not more racing, more rather more answers. Now, I fully understand the um, championships intentions it wants to use entertaining yet sustainable electrified motorsport to help uh, raise awareness of climate change no one could argue that it isn't a positive thing but there's so much visual hypocrisy and vagueness that to me the championship fundamentally just doesn't add up from the opening broadcast complete with a uh, sprangly promo video prepped with smiley rich racing drivers, diversity and spoonfuls of positive sentiment, there were plenty of distractions to slather over the questionable cracks of ethics. For instance, a race series that's built from foundations surrounding activism and force for change statements shouldn't be racing in Saudi Arabia. With the help of uh, some fancy graphics, the Extreme E commentary team uh, outlined a handy, in a handy infographic of the 5.5 mile 
Alula uh, Desert Circuit and declared the issues facing the place where desertification declared the issues facing the place where desertification um, what about Saudi Arabia being among the world's top executioners with dozens of people being executed by the state each year many of them in public beheadings uh, or the lack of protests free speech and abhorrent discrimination females are subjected to a practice that flies completely in the face of the mandatory mixed gender teams extremely has been pioring. Um it is an educational racing series there to be there to widen the eyes and minds of the public why discount these things but my overriding objection is that this is solely called sustainable green and environmentally friendly championship um, is nothing but carbon neutral from day dot is there any point to it my generation and younger have had it forced fed to us that big ships sailing across the world is bad um, racing across okay look there's a lot of things in this uh, this is an opinion piece and it's probably the <coughs> the wrong thing to be including in a podcast but um, there's a lot of this a lot of this opinion um, that I kind of don't agree with um, and that's not me getting political or something but you know extremely is new um, I watched the so what I'm going to do is I'm going to disregard um, this opinion piece altogether and give my opinion on it instead of reading somebody else's because it's not an opinion that I wholeheartedly agree with um, <coughs> and I'm going to start off by saying excuse me for one second <coughs> there we go I'm going to start off by saying um, look extremely is new it's a brand new sport it's being um, created to create awareness of climate change and the issues facing the planet as well as um, some of the racing locations including the Arctic the Amazon um, the Saudi Arabian desert um, as well as many others um, I think are fantastic places um, to showcase racing and you have the likes of Lewis Hamilton uh, Jensen Button Sebastian Vettel and a lot of other high-ranking male and female drivers um, taking part in this series now I watched with interest the first episode or the first in uh, the series last weekend on ITV and I have to say although it's not as interesting as Formula One um, it did have me engaged for the whole thing and I'll tell you why yes there might be some problems with batteries and stuff and how the cars are powered but given that the extremely racing series um, is trying to raise awareness of climate change um, it is sort of crucial that people pay attention to this in terms of how they can um, better themselves to look after the planet now I'm not saying oh this should be taken at face value um, but 
yeah. Um, look, it's extremely, it's new, it's interesting. Um, I'm not going to keep badgering on about it. I'll go into more detail about it, as I said, next week. Um, once I've watched a little bit more about it. But I'll just give you a rundown of the racing schedule for Extreme E. So the racing schedule for Extreme E starts off... Actually, I'll just pull it up here. Give me a second. So I'll just pull up... Um, yeah, so the first race took place between the 3rd and 4th of April this year. Um, the, the event name in is Desert Expri, obviously because it's taking place in a desert, and the location is Al Ula in Saudi Arabia. Um, the next one takes place between the 29th and 30th of May, so next month, um, the Ocean Expri, and the location is Lac Rose um, in Senegal. Um, and then the third race, the third round takes place between the 28th and 29th of August and takes place in Greenland. Uh, and the 23rd and 24th is the round four of October, takes place in Brazil, um, in the Amazon. And then the final round takes place between the 11th and 12th of December this year, the Glacier Expiry in Argentina. So... The racing schedule itself is spaced out over a certain period of months. Um, so there's about a month between uh, the first and second round. And then there's a few months between the third and fourth. And then there's a few months between the fourth and fifth round. Um, now obviously these gaps are to allow for the vehicles to be transported over to each location on the ship. Um, called I think it's the St Helena or St Helena uh, ship or something I'm not exactly sure I'll, I'll check that up and come back to you next week um, with more details but um, the vehicles then need to be transported on the ship to all of the various locations included in the um, racing series and then um, upon arrival the vehicles will be charged on the ship um, using I watched a preview of this racing series on ITV Player. Um, and they will be charged, if I can remember, they will be charged using sustainable um, materials. Uh, the battery will be made from sustainable materials um, that will then be used to charge the vehicles. Um, a lot of this information I'll have to check up again just to clarify, um, which I will do um, for next week. Um, and then... Let's see, what does it say? So, the following teams and drivers are competing in the 2021 championship. All teams use one of the identical Odyssey 21 electric SUVs manufactured by Sparks Racing Technology, which is the vehicles that are being used during this championship. Um, each team consists of a male and a female driver who share the car and have equal driving duties. So, um, how this works is they have equal driving duties. They have a male and a female driver. Um, so, I when I was watching it last week, uh, last weekend, the male driver of the team started off and then they switched halfway through and the female driver then got in and finished off the race. Now, the switch takes 
I think they have a, a maximum of 30 seconds, maybe a minute to um, switch in and out, depending on when the driver gets there. So um, here are the different teams involved in the racing series. So you have uh, Veloce, Veloce Racing. Um, the drivers are Jamie Chadwick and Stephanie Jean, uh, Jean-Marc Sarazen, who is French. Uh, you have Rosberg Racing. Um, you have Jonah Christopherson and Molly Taylor. Uh, JBXE, which is um, Jensen Button Racing, who is a Formula we uh, who is a, a Formula One World Champion, and you know what? I list all the teams in the show notes um, and the team, the team players in the event uh, in the show notes. So then you can check them up as well. Um, so yeah, overall, uh, as I said, the next event is the 29th and 30th of May um, this year and will take place in um, Lac Rose in Senegal. So uh, that's my... I suppose my opinion on Extreme E, I think Extreme E is um, very interesting and it's definitely one to look out for and watch if you have an interest in um, saving the planet with and climate change, obviously. Um, so yeah, moving on. Um, the final topic of discussion is entertainment news. Um, it was announced yesterday that Sony Pictures moves movie output deal from Stars to Netflix in a deal between the two companies. Studio also sets first look agreement for direct to streaming film titles. This of course comes from Variety.com and will of course will be left in the show notes. Netflix has emerged as the Netflix has emerged Netflix sorry Netflix has emerged the winner of nearly of a nearly two-year auction for the ex exclusive U.S. rights to stream Sony Pictures theatrical releases in the first pay TV window starting with the studio's 2022 slate. Netflix has also set a first-look agreement with Sony for all of the studio's original movies produced for the direct-to-streaming market. The deal also requires Netflix to commit to a certain number of titles from the studio, but it doesn't stop Sony from selling direct-to-streaming titles to Netflix rivals. In that case, however, Netflix would have to pass the project, pass on the project for Sony to be able to sell it to another streamer. As part of the pact, Netflix will license an unscript, unspecified number of older titles from Sony's movie Vault. Sony Pictures' primary pay TV partner has been Stars, now owned by Lionsgate since 2006. Uh, the new theatrical output deal with Netflix, which only covers the US, is believed to run about five years and is undoubtedly worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the studio. Um, where am I now? I've lost it. Yeah. Is undoubtedly worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the studio over the term. Industry sources said Sony executives are working on another significant theatrical movie 
um, licensing pact outside the Netflix agreement. Netflix already had a deal with Sony Pictures for all of its animated releases, starting with next year's slate. Uh, all movies from the various film banners on the Culver City lot, including Columbia Pictures, Sony Pictures Classics, um, Screen Gems and TriStar Pictures, will stream exclusively on Netflix after their theatrical and home entertainment releases. That promises to bring to, bring to Netflix future installments of the Spider-Man, Venom and Jumanji franchises, among others. The pay one window usually brings about nine months after the f- begins about nine months after the film's theatrical release. Although that timeline may have been sped up for Netflix over the course of the pandemic, Sony has sold multiple Slate titles to Netflix outright, um, including Kevin Hart's Fatherhood and the animated films uh, The Mitchells vs. the Machines and Wish Dragon. Sony Pictures is a great partner and we are thrilled to expand our relationship through this forward-thinking agreement, said Netflix global film head Scott Stuber. This not only allows us to bring their impressive slate of beloved film franchises and new IP to Netflix in the US, but it also establishes a new source of first-run films for Netflix movie lovers worldwide. Sources familiar with the deal said the pact will amount to a recording rec- no, a recording setting price tag for a pay one window agreement. The deal is said to be structured in a relatively traditional form with the fee that Netflix pays for each title determined on a sliding scale by each title's domestic and world or worldwide box office haul. Pay one deals have been extremely lucrative and vital source of revenue and a vital source of revenue for legacy film studios but they're an endangered species in Hollywood's deal economy as media conglomerates keep more content in-house to feed new streaming platforms. Shops like Warner Media and Disney are directing their film libraries exclusively to services like HBO Max and Disney Plus and Hulu respectively. Netflix said its first big league deal pay one movie deal with a Hollywood studio in December of 2012 when it shocked the the industry by unveiling a Disney pact that kicked in with the studio's 2016 slate. Uh, That deal was estimated at $300 million over an unusually short three-year term, which which indicated a certain caution on Disney's part. That hedge was uh, persistent, because Disney would up negotiating an early end to the agreement in 2017 after the studio announced plans to launch the streamer that would become Disney Plus, now a growing global dynamo. In a sign of current of the current sensitivities around the theatrical windowing and Hollywood Studios' commitment to the exhibition window, Sony's announcement made a point of noting that the direct-to-streaming movies produced for Netflix and other streamers will be additive to Sony's full theatrical slate, which will continue at its current volume, said Sony. Um, the new agreement helps answer a lingering question about where SPE fits into, I, I presume that's Sony Pictures Entertainment, yeah, Sony Pictures Entertainment fits into the 
transformed marketplace. The studio has vowed to focus on supplying content to others rather than wading into the streaming platform wars. The crowded um, SVOD market, um, subscription video on demand market, if you're looking for a more long range term, um, that Netflix speeded through, seeded now, includes, uh, oh, sorry. The crowded SVOD market that Netflix seeded now includes Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Hulu, Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus, and many other niche players. Netflix has been a terrific partner as we continue to expand our relationships, said Keith Ligoy, uh, Sony Picture Entertainment's president of Worldwide Distribution and Networks. At Sony Pictures, we provide some of the biggest blockbusters and the more the most creative original films in the industry. This exciting agreement further demonstrates the importance of the of that content to our distribution partners as they grow their audiences and deliver the very best in entertainment. Netflix at present has about 74 million US subscribers out of 204 million in total worldwide. Pictured above is 2019's Jumanji The Next Level. And that just about does it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining me um, on this week's episode. And as I said, I'll have more details in next week's episode about Extreme E, as well as many other topics to be talked about and discussed. Um, until then, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'll see you next week. Series 2 of the podcast is produced by Jack Nelligan and is available now on all podcasting platforms. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.